Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, today I am really looking forward to you guys hearing this story. I mean, it's not going to be easy, and I should probably say right now that if you listen to the podcast with your kids in the car, you may not want to today just because we don't want to scare them. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, we don't always think about our own safety in what we do. And there's been a couple conversations recently with fraud fighters talking about that. And it reminded me of something that happened to a friend of mine several years ago. And she's been so gracious to offer her time and to kind of drudge up the story again to share it um, as a cautionary tale. So um, with that, I'm just going to welcome my friend because I don't get to brag about who you are today. I think it'll become apparent to everyone why it was important to you to be anonymous. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, again, thank you so much. I mean, especially since I'm not able to brag about you and and say how great you are, you know, for your own career development. um, I really appreciate, you know, you coming on. Um, Let's start from like the very beginning. How long have you been in, you know, fraud prevention and trust and safety? Uh, scarily enough, it's going on 20 years. Uh, you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> it is getting scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, coming up on 20 years here shortly. So, And you've been in retail and digital goods and um, various different types of you know marketplaces. Yeah, physical, digital, um, virtual, uh, crypto. Yeah, so you've been able to do a lot. What's your favorite part about being in this industry? Every day is a new day, right? So once you think you've seen it all, you're reminded quickly that you haven't. (laughs) Even, I mean, I guess I'm laughing because I I know just how true that became for you a few years ago. but, (laughs) But also, I mean, that is true. And especially when you get to work for different types of companies too, you can have the same job title at two different companies, but have completely different days and completely different everything. That is true. Especially when you think that your day is going to go really smooth and then all of a sudden there's a disruption that that is a shock and awe. And sometimes those distru- disruptions are fun, right? Because it's a puzzle we get to solve or a case we get to investigate. And other times it's, you know, more frustrations or red tape. But, you know, it is true. There's never a day is the same as the other days. And we're always learning, right? And that can be fun in itself. That is true. And I love the the learning curve on that and, and the new the new trends that come out and keep you on your feet. And I think once you get complacent in it, it's, that's definitely when I'm going to have to jump. So Yeah, I always say that if you ever come across somebody who says that they know everything in this space, that means that at some point they stopped learning. <laughs> exactly. I think that, but for me, it's still that investigative piece of it that I love. Putting the puzzle together, the patterning, that's, that's the best part for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, so we're just going to dive into this. And I just have to say thank you so much. 
uh, for being willing to share your story about one of the toughest parts um, of your career history. And I don't want to understate how grateful I am that you're willing to talk about this and to help others in our industry learn from your story. Can you start with kind of the general type of company you were working for at the time this happened and uh, when it started? Sure. I was working for a um, social media metaverse company where our customers were able to create um, product that would go into a a marketplace. They could socialize um, and create friendships and just go into chat type environments and really just put their real life into virtual worlds, basically. So like a gaming company or social media that had a marketplace component. Yeah. And then earn. If, if they were a creator, they could earn. So that was really important for our creators. That was their livelihood. Right. They could earn real money by things that they were selling within the the game or, or the social media platform. Exactly. And and it was really a cult following as well. Hmm. I think that that's important to this story. But I think still that that doesn't mean that for anybody who doesn't work for a company like that, that, that something similar couldn't happen. <laughs> right. Well, think about your gaming companies on whole. I mean, your your customers are very invested in their character. So you can get anything you want within a character. Yeah. And that is certainly true in an in a metaverse as well. So Right. So that account has, you know, all of their different skins or outfits. It has all of their uh, weaponry. It has all of their items that they bought for real money as well as that earned within a game. And so that account is probably a part of their identity in the real world almost. It could be. And um, think about all their credits, their gems, their whatever extras they're buying or they've been gifted. Um, it very much is an identity piece. Yeah. I mean, there's a game I like to play here and there, like especially late at night that, you know, I've I've put some money into here and there, you know, just oh, I'll buy a few extra, you know, coins or whatever. And like, I'd probably be pretty, I mean, I wouldn't, it's not part of my identity anywhere else in the world. You know, that's different. But you know, if something happened to that account, I'd be like, oh, man, I don't even want to think about how many hours have been put into that. <laughs> Right. For me, it's not Candy Crush, but it's something like that. And so, you know, I'll admit it. I, gosh, I'm just admitting all kinds of things on the podcast. I admitted that I love Bravo TV a couple weeks ago. So, you know, <laughs> this is becoming my therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I also game, so I, I, I understand. <laughs> you know, when you have customers that, that are willing to put more than $5 into a platform and they come out on the other end, you have other customers who've put hundreds, you know, $100,000 into your platform, you understand, right? right? You want to take care of that customer and when their account could be jeopardized, there's a concern there for that customer. So, um, right. From a trust and safety perspective, whether it's, you know, payment fraud or, well, right. Yeah. It's our job. Our job is to protect others, but it can sometimes mean canceling those accounts that other people have put a lot of time and, and maybe some expense into. And so thinking about that and it can sometimes have unintended consequences. That's a good word. Yes. Unintended. Mm -hmm. I feel like that could be the episode title. It won't be, but like it could be unintended consequences. Um, so 
for this specific account and user, um, what was the behavior that you you know, got them on your radar and you know what ended up happening to their account? So um, it wasn't a specific behavior that I discovered. It was actually a behavior that came at me. So I was informed by member of staff that my information, my personal information showed up on a chat between two users. And when I talked my personal information, it was my name, my phone number, my title, my my home address, and um, the fact that I was going to be speaking at a conference. And that became obvious that it's a concern immediately. So, so that um, user still had their account at that time. They and did. they were talking to another user and saying, oh, I identified the fraud manager or the person in charge of fraud. Look at all this information. Is that kind of what was identified? That's exactly what happened. Yeah. And they were, what had happened um, to trigger that is one of the, we didn't limit accounts. We didn't limit user accounts. And mm-hmm. apparently this individual's, um, they had another account that had been blacklisted or shut down for bad behavior. And it was shut down by another team for bad behavior. And this individual had popped up and said, whoa, you know, all this personal information. And so it was bubbled up to me for attention to say, hey, hey you might want to pay attention to this. Yeah. And um, so a little unnerving. When your information, your personal information is being shown in a chat, I had no idea who this individual was. So I got on Spokio, actually, um, to find out, you know, do I know who this, this email belongs to or can I find this moniker? Got on our platform to find this moniker. And um, unfortunately, you know, there were there were things that, that were not done correctly. There were things that could have gone better um, and things that we did right. I'm just going to say that from the beginning. Unfortunately, we did not have a process in place at the time where people that looked. So one of the things on our platform, when you had views on your account, you could see everybody who viewed your account, staff and non-staff. So when I looked at this account, it showed that I looked staff looked at this account. Right. So individual Did the staff's my, name or just... It showed my user ID oh, or my no. user name. And so right. this individual got my user moniker as well. So anyway, so not only do we have now, they've got all my personal information. So going into the conversation with this other individual, they had already doxed me. Now, because of poor security choices made in advance, um, we have staff showing up in views and now she has my <laughs> moniker um oh my gosh was yeah. that your, so like, your staff a, moniker basically like your username for a staff account it has my, so it's got my um so we had staff badges that were on the monikers and so oh right it had my moniker with the staff badge and so, <laughs> so they knew oh i i doxed the right person because right that, person, yeah. that person is now looking at my account. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it could have gone better. Anyway, I mean, in in fairness, how many times at any company, right? You don't think of something until something goes wrong. Well, yeah, and and that's how policy is made, right? Policy is made on hindsight. When something goes wrong, you fix it. It's true, and usually that is separated from who we are in real life. Though, like sometimes that's, you know, yeah, if something goes wrong and we fix it from a policy perspective, that's 
fine and good. And we do that all the time, but there's something different about it when you see, I imagine when you see your name and your information and everything doxed about you on your company's platform, that makes it personal and makes it a harder lesson to learn. And I generally don't try to let emotion run my actions, you know, but again, it's like that shouldn't be on that platform, right? That information shouldn't be the how to, you know, how does this person have my information? I'm just not processing it. And um, so we're, and I'm sitting there with my manager and we're looking at the same information and we're having the same conversation going back and forth going, that's not supposed to be there. No. How did this happen? So this happens on a Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, this person who has doxxed me is messaging me on the platform messaging uh, through chat. I'm ignoring everything at this point as far as communicating back and forth with this individual. So I'm not biting. I'm not engaging. And um, it's making this individual mad Mm. because they're not engaging. You're ignoring them. By Saturday, they're really mad because I've still not engaged. And I start getting death threats because they have my phone number. And now I'm getting text messages and I'm getting the death threats to me and to my family. And because they've doxxed me, they've got, you know, my address, my, you know, my home address, but the people who live with me. And it's one thing to threaten me, but it's another on emotional level to mm-hmm. threaten those that I love. Um, and that's that's a hard pill to swallow. Well, and as fraud people, we usually, I mean, I know that trust and safety, you know, and, and there are people, you know, like you were in that position where, you know, trust and safety and fraud were kind of hand in hand. And so you kind of did both. But you know, I know that trust and safety managers do have to think about this in some regard, especially because you know, they're policing things and policing accounts. But when it comes to the financial fraud piece, I think that a lot of us feel safe that we're behind a computer and nobody actually knows who's taking those actions and and we're separated. We might know a lot about them, but they don't know anything about us personally. And, you know, you had been in this industry for a long time for other companies before this and never had to, never was that even a a possibility. Never, never. And and in my past life, I would have expected it. Not this life, you know, because I had a career before this, which would have been put me in a far greater jeopardy of this happening than this. So again, not not processing why this is happening. I, you know, because I was getting ready to travel to the conference, I had yeah. my computer with me. I'm doing my my due diligence of trying to find out who this person is, determining that we've got financial fraud as well attached to this individual and the other accounts. So I am emailing everybody that I can within the company. I'm contacting my cell phone provider saying, hey, can you block this phone number? And they're laughing at me. You know, they're like, no, you need to, co- you know, contact your police department, file a, you know, a law. A police report. Police are saying, "I'm sorry. This is this is you know something we can take a report, but there's nothing we can do." So you know, bubbling it up to my leadership is the best I could do at that time, and giving them all the facts that I had at my fingertips is what I did. Sunday, I'm on a plane to go to the conference. Monday, I see you. <laughs> yeah, report that. <laughs> Yeah. And that definitely caught me off guard. I mean, this was, you know, several years ago, but at that point I'd been, you know, in charge of two different types of conference or, you know, two conferences for two different organizations, you know, both in fraud and 
it had been a normal practice to put speaker name and company name uh, on the website. And I know it's still a normal practice for a lot of conferences. We didn't really think, I mean, I think that the thought had crossed my mind for sure. But because nobody else had really said anything or been concerned about it, I was like, well, this is also good for their career and professional development. So, you know, it's a good thing to do. And like, you know, for them, and as long as there were a couple times that people said, hey, you know, I can speak, but I can't be on the website. And we'd go, oh, okay, you know, that was because of company policy, they didn't want to admit that they had a fraud team or something like that. But to that point, it's fine. And then yeah, you Catch me and said, oh gosh, you were just like, why is a ghost? And said, you know, I'm getting death threats and this person knows that I'm at this conference right now because they found me and my company name on your website. I think what you said is I don't think they're going to come. I know where they live and it's not near the conference, but I felt like I should tell someone in case you know, in case something happens to me, I think is what you said. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, you know, so I escalated it up on my side to say, this is what's happening. You know, we need to just keep an extra eye out on this person and and their safety. And the conference organizer said, Do you think that we need to hire outside security, like get you a bouncer, basically. And I so I asked you because I was like, Well, I don't know. But I'll ask and see what she thinks if she wants that. I think you were like, No, no. I'm like, Are you sure? Okay. But that was something that I had never thought of. I, I mean, like I said, I thought of it for a quick minute, right? Like, you know, is this okay with everyone that we put their name and company name on there? But for the most part, none of, nothing like this had ever happened to that extreme before. Yeah, and one of the things that the conference was great about is we had we had everybody from different industries, and I was able to connect with the right people for the next steps. One of the things that I did find out later is this individual was a master at spoofing. So what I thought I knew was wrong. <laughs> Let's just face it, we're wrong. Because they ended up long, you know, this drug out for four years. Let's just face it. It went from eight, it went from, it went on for four years. Let's just call that time frame. They, within that time frame, and I'll, I'll just condense the, the story. The, um, they spoofed my phone number. They spoofed others. The attack didn't just happen to me. They eventually found my director of customer service. They found my VP of engineering. They found our CEO and others within the organization. But the three that took the brunt of the abuse was myself, director of customer service, and the director of, uh, or, I'm sorry, the VP of engineering. The reason those two got just the barrage of the harassment was because they had contacted or they had they had responded in some sort of fashion. I never, ever engaged with this individual, which continued to make them angry. But this individual also tried to disrupt our business operations to the point of they would contact our vendors and impersonate me and try to stop our contracts. They contacted ICANN and our um, domain provider, tried to take down our, our actual website. They <laughs> tried to start services for the business, um, so <laughs> impersonating me to do so. So, um, so I did a lot of um, damage control. <laughs> 
there was uh, the one that just I had to finally change my phone number was when the <laughs> the audio file that went out with my phone number to most <laughs> most of the organization um, from. Uh, yeah, I won't even, it was an audio file that was inappropriate that went out to many different individuals. And then I would get to, and I will just say it was just inappropriate. And I would get responses <laughs> back that said, that was inappropriate and you should never, and don't ever, t- don't ever send me a phone or don't ever call me again. And just, I mean, I was going on an apology tour every time I went into the office. It was horrible. <laughs> and I finally just took my phone number. This episode is brought to you by Spec. Spec makes implementing and using new fraud platforms much easier as they provide access to various fraud prevention tools without any engineering resources needed from your end. I think what's even more crazy about that, though, I mean, it's funny because I know what the audio file was, but let's just, I mean, (laughs) people can definitely use your imagination, but just think of what, you know, of like, Let's just say Harry Mazzoli. Yes, yes. A couple of things that might, you know, you may not want your CEO to pick up the phone from you and and hear on the other end, you know, and but the crazier part to me was, and I'm sure everyone's thinking, well, how did they get, how did this person get everyone's phone number, right, to call from you? Because it must have just been their desk phone or something like that, but it was their cell phones. And this part is both surprising and not surprising at the same time. And how did you figure that out? Yeah. Yeah, so the way we figured it out is that our website had, um, because we're social media, we had uh, all our social, our official social media um, websites or pages. And, you know, as employees, you want to support those, right? And your family tends to support those as well. So (laughs) every one of our staff that had supported those pages were being contacted and the reason they were being contacted is because they weren't thinking about their personal security. So they either had their phone numbers attached or their families had their phone numbers attached. And this individual was going to Facebook specifically and looking at who had a phone number attached and would call them and spoof my phone number. So if they kept on giving, right? right. And <laughs> I can laugh about it now. It wasn't so funny at the I think that all of us in fraud can definitely, you know, to some extent, there have been times in our career where we can kind of go, wow, well played, right? Like usually it's, you know, in a payment fraud scenario or, you know, something account, you know, security or something like that. But in that regard, I mean, how many people do have their personal phone number attached to their social media and then they're liking their their company? And there's probably not as many users who are liking that official company page on, on social media as there are employees. And so, you know, why not? I mean, it sounds like you took up a lot of space in their head. Yes. And so every time I turned around and I was, and in a way they took a lot of space in my head because I was on a mission to make sure this individual never came back on the platform. And over the course of the first year, I shut down over 300 new accounts this individual kept putting up and we had significant payment 
fraud from this individual. They were using um, stolen credit cards, uh, stolen gift cards. One thing that was to our advantage is because we had the chat system, we were able to look at messaging as well, determine behavior. What I was looking at was what conversations were happening. Was We were also able to determine that um, this individual had been had a history of targeting our users. We had a large user base that had been harassed and bullied by this individual. So I was first. And you didn't know this until all of this was uncovered. No, I, and I certainly wasn't the first, but I was the first staff. Right. Be targeted. And this individual also, and I actually probably wasn't the hardest bullied because some of our users, their children were targeted, their pictures were stolen. Mm. And then there was accusations of pedophilia and child abuse and other just horrific accusations. This person is, this person is not right in the head. I'm just going to say that. And the attacks were, they were evil. They were horrible. And then they were, this person found a new victim, right? They were, they were coming hard at me. They came hard at my director of customer service, who then they took the pedophilia charges at him and put him on Twitter, put him on um, Facebook. And working with Twitter and Facebook was difficult. To prove something was not correct and that it was abuse or that the information that was being, being put up was was against their um, terms of service, TOS or their, whatever. They are not, Twitter at the time was not easy to work with. So um, it's harder to prove. I know I did my best to introduce you to the right people that I knew, but um, but because of Section 230 in the United States, there's a lot of cases where social media platforms you know, don't want to get involved because then it makes it seem like they're being the arbiter of truth or or disinformation one way or another but when it's defamatory i mean that's it should be taken down because that can ruin people's you know their their kids entry to schools it can it can ruin you know it can ruin businesses yes if you've got, a, if you've got an, a business say your spouse has a business on the outside it can ruin yeah. that i mean it can target your business and ruin that um that's the you other kick, side you kicked out of a homeowners association yes. i would think like all kinds of things it ruins your future job opportunities one of the things i worried about you know when i went went on to a new job is okay now i've got baggage i've got to, got to explain what's going on here right which you know wasn't a big deal because it wasn't my fault that this happened it was something that happened to me and that's okay the other part of that is that we learn how to handle these situations and we can build processes around that yes so um we get better at how do we handle these kind of postings how do we work with our partners in the social media environment. So we also learned how to work with law enforcement or not work with law enforcement. We did have two cases that we filed with the FBI as well. One for myself personally because of the death threats and then one on behalf of the company. And unfortunately, those didn't go anywhere. That's frustrating. It is. It, it's frustrating. I kept, you know, at one point I just said, okay, does somebody have to go out in a body bag for this to go anywhere? Right. But you know, maybe we just didn't file in the right location. 
And that, that was a lesson learned as well. So what was the, I mean, was there anything that happened, you know, four years later where it just, or was it just that you changed jobs, you changed your phone number, the company, you know, just this person got a new target, presumably, and they went away or how did it end? No idea. I think they're still around. We were chasing this person and I use chase loosely, but when we were, we were going through the different Twitter, the different messaging, we weren't their only target. They were targeting different companies as well. They are just an unhappy individual. And I think they get joy from causing chaos for different companies. And Maybe they just got bored because I never responded. And that was something that they... They would escalate because you didn't respond. But then again, the two people that did respond, they also got on their radar one way or another, one right way that would have gotten them to stop. Yeah. So, I mean, you can only, you can only goad somebody so long. And mm-hmm. if they're not going to respond, why would you keep goading them? So... That that may have been the the point where they just said, "Ah, oh, we're done." Or they may be still trying to text my phone, and I don't have it anymore. <laughs> Feel bad for whoever has it now, right? No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> well, and so let's talk about. I mean, the things that you learned in hindsight that either you put in place there, or in you know your newer positions, or that you would recommend other people do. Just knowing that this can happen, and you know, just some best practices because we you know, often, I I think if there's any industry that knows the truth behind the phrase, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, it's us. Um, And you know, you definitely learned that in hindsight, afterwards, there weren't wasn't as easy to get help from other, you know, partners and all that. And it might have been because this was, you know, a handful of years ago. And maybe now there are more resources available to some law enforcement for online bullying and stalking. I have no idea. But, you know, I guess one of the things I would say right away, and I'm surprised at how few fraud departments do this because it was commonplace for me uh, when I worked on a team on a fraud team for an online travel agency. And unfortunately, there were, you know, ties to terrorism with stolen credit cards and you know, buying flights and all of that. That was why we had to do this. But we um, all had aliases. So my first day, nobody warned me about this, though. I wish they would have given me like, you know, told me in the interview process or when I accepted the job, hey, you should think about what your alias is going to be for the next, you know, for as long as you work here. Uh, No, my first day it was, oh, what's your alias? I'm like, my what? So I used a a version of my my middle name and, you know, a, a family member's maiden name, right? I just was like trying to think of something. But um, it made it hard starting there because I was like, wait, you just told me your name was this. And then you answered your phone as that. Who are you? And so we'd all get a list of, you know, their real name and then their alias name. Anytime anyone talked to anyone outside of the company, even if it was a vendor, even if it was we were calling a bank to verify someone's, you know, if someone owned this credit card, we would say, hi, this is so-and-so from, you know, this company. Um, It was never our real name. So that way, when we would get calls to customer service that would then be transferred to our department, we would know, okay, oh, they're calling for, you know, so for me, I mean, I'll say mine because it doesn't matter, but you know, mine was Grace, right? So it was, oh, Grace, we've got, you know, and and that's not my middle name, but it's a a version of it. And, you know, that's like, oh, Grace, we've got this call for you. Okay. I know it's somebody tied to this because they don't know my real name. And then the same thing where 
for a while, especially after the incidents that occurred that made that happen, uh, the fraud team was off site for a while, like for several years, actually, they were off site from the advertised address of where the very large company was based. Um, It was like a mile away. It wasn't out of the town or anything, but it was somewhere else in an undescript office building. Um, They then moved them to the main building and the security guards down at the first floor were told, hey, if anyone comes in and asks for any of these names and they were all of our aliases, you need to call 911 because chances are they were told that something, you know, chances are they tried to pay for something with a stolen credit card. And they had that canceled and they're angry. I kind of thought that that was like going above and beyond. But knowing the history, I was like, okay, I guess it makes sense. I don't want, you know, I kind of made me feel like a badass in a way. Like I can't use my real name because I'm going to have a fake name. But uh, yeah, so for a year I was kind or actually a little over a year when I worked there, I was having like this identity crisis of like, what's my name? Because I had to learn to answer to both. But that's one thing that I think a lot more fraud departments should be doing uh, whenever you're ma- emailing out even, hey, we need to verify your identity or we've canceled your order. It shouldn't, you know, and I just had Rob and, and James from Uphold on the podcast a few weeks ago. And Rob talked about how he sent out um, every time somebody opens up a crypto account with Uphold, they get an email from him, the head of the fraud department saying, hey, I'm Rob. This is this and that and that. And, this is, and I think that's good because he's saying like, look, we're looking out for you and everything else. But then it also made me think about what happened to you. And I shared that with him after we recorded. And I was like, you know, hey, just FYI, at least I think I did. If I didn't, I'm sorry, Rob, but I know in my head I did. Um, you know, has that ever worried you before, you know, that you could be a target for something? Um, so maybe it doesn't have to be your real name, right? But then I think about how we're all on LinkedIn too. And that's a whole other thing. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the LinkedIn aspect of it um on Thursday's episode, on my solo episode, because there's even more that goes into that from other perspectives from you know insiders and, and other things that I think we need to think about, but what are some things that you learned and that you've shared maybe with either your last company or your newest company of like, Hey, we need to have some new best practices for everybody's safety. I break it down to like four different buckets. And one of the things we did from an organizational perspective is we had to, one, the organization needs to protect the employees. You're absolutely right. So funny when, when all this was going on, one of my team members said, Oh yeah, there's one company out there that uses superhero names <laughs> <laughs> for their fraud team. For their well, their fraud and their customer service. So it's not oh, just oh wow, it. right? Because that's think about it, your customer facing, right? And um, in fact, yeah. her, her, she was dealing with a return, and their customer service is like, "Yeah, this is Spider Man. How can I help you?" <laughs> and I thought it was so perfect. It is, except for they know that it's obviously like, you know, then are you going to take it seriously? But still, you make the conversation fun. Who cares? Right. Right. Yeah. You don't need to know my real name. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's just a protection point. (laughs) I'll go by Wonder Woman. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you can make up a a superhuman name, but you know. That's true. Yeah. Make up your own superhero. (laughs) Really, it's just all about if you're customer facing, use pseudonyms. Whatever that is. Um, and, and really, it's about 
protecting your staff. Again, it's customer service, it's fraud, it's trust and safety. Whoever those people are that are customer facing, that's where you need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to use those pseudonyms, protect your staff, emails, the contact name, your staff listing, if it's public facing, let's make sure that there are pseudonyms that are used. You know, how many times do you have to send out a customer email and then all of a sudden you've got your company email on it and it's like, oh, that's not the right one. So um, yeah, there were several times when I was emailing customers and I was like, I really don't want to use my own email, you know, email, but I have to use I have to send this customer an email because it's necessary. So right, right. So having an an extra one, right, like in your alias would be, or having you know a fraud domain one where it comes from the fraud team. I know I've seen that before too. Exactly. Just, everybody has access to it, and it doesn't have to come from a specific person. I love your thought about the physical security, specifically around. We've had we had had bomb threats to the building, and Were they that connected was, to this, or you're it not was sure? Not this well at. Initially, it was thought to be, but it wasn't. Um, Again, people are very passionate about their Right, they're invested in their, yeah. And it was a a customer that was concerned that a decision about the account was not favorable to that individual. So bomb threats were the way to go. (laughs) So physical, physical security protocol is necessary. So again, Mm. whether it's, okay, was there a threat that came in? Do we need to escort this individual to their vehicle or do what perimeter, whatever. So something because of an incident, you need to have incident awareness. What we had done when this was all going on is leadership had sent out an email to say, okay, be aware. Do we have a strange package that's been left Mm. at the door? Be aware of your personal surroundings. If you are receiving a phone call from somebody you don't know or an email from somebody you don't know, think twice about it. So Mm. um, if you're getting a spoofed phone call from this phone number, don't answer it. Right, right. But it's hard to know it's spoofed, right? From my phone number. Right. If you're getting a phone phone call from your phone number and they're making inappropriate noises. Right. (laughs) Well, I think, yeah. Oh, well, and actually you just made me think of another thing that is just kind of funny, not funny, but like just a fun anecdote that I thought was funny anyway, but also it's gross. But I was talking to a marketplace um, just a couple of months ago, actually, and they were saying, you know, how they also have users who make money off of their site. That's their livelihood. And that, you know, decisions were have been made before that they didn't like. And in at least one case, human excrement was shipped <gasps> or sent to the... <laughs> to the the company and the board and and addressed to the the appropriate team. And so, you know, when you said packages, that made me think of that too. I mean, granted, in some cases there are remote only companies, but like you can't pay me enough money to open up a package with, you know, something like that in there. And so it was kind of funny because the person who opened it had to like escalate it all the way up and was like, well, I got shit and they were like well yeah but like what kind of no like actual like (laughs) like, yeah no it it was real (laughs) but um 
you know, it's, I don't know if working from home is a better or a worse thing, right? But certainly if you have to, you know, when you work from home and you have to make phone calls to customers or to banks, you know, use a Google voice number or use, you know, a ring central or something. Central, yeah. yeah. A VoIP something so that it's not your home phone number that could then be traced to your home address. That would be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Important yeah. There's too. a lot. I mean, and the other thing, you know, there has to be a protocol for law enforcement engagement. And if, if your company doesn't have a policy in place right now, create one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you when do you get law enforcement involved and what does that look like? And have what documents need to be provided to them? You know, it's, it's that whole process. It's the same as when you're putting an investigation together, right? It's, right. it's the same type of, of procedures, right? Tracking tools. Oh Lord, we did not have, and I'm going to say this now, we did not have the greatest of tools when it came down to this. I I honestly believe that we could have, had we had the right tools, had this individual dead to rights within the first year, but that wasn't the case. Uh, And then educate your staff. They need to be aware. So that's from an organizational standpoint. From a personal standpoint, one of the things that I did immediately was I didn't respond. So if you find yourself in this kind of situation, don't respond. That's, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're, they're emotional. It's an emotional annihilation on you. They're trying to get a response. Don't do it. Just be strong. It's really hard not to text something back or pick up right. that phone. Or, I bet, um, especially if they invoke your family members' names. Scream it, but yeah. don't, don't engage. So the other thing I did is I made sure that my security, my privacy settings was all tightly locked down on Mm. any social media. And I'm not a big social media person, but I had removed every last post on my Facebook and my photos, everything. I told all my friends and family, look, this is, this is the situation. Please, if you think that it's me that's engaging with you, text me first or email me first, send me a message, whatever. But likely I'm going to be dormant for a while. The same with my LinkedIn. I I locked everything down, made sure that nobody could contact me unless they were one of my, one of my, you know, um, connections, like first. Yes. Right. And then make sure that those that are closest to you, your friends and family that you engage with on a daily basis, know what's going on in your life. Right. The person that took this the hardest in my life was my mother because she couldn't understand how somebody could do this. Right. She still to this day doesn't understand. My mom has a hard time figuring out the internet sometimes. So I guess that would also probably be why <laughs> that would be hard to understand. Contact law enforcement. If you're getting death threats, you need to contact law enforcement. And and granted, they may or may not be able to do anything. But if it's a death threat, you have to contact law enforcement because something could happen. Right. And if you haven't contacted law enforcement... You know, an ounce of prevention goes a long way. File file the complaint and then document, document everything. So keep keep records of what's going on. That's that's really from a personal standpoint what I did anyway. And then events. Really, what I look at for events is what I would hope. And this is just my personal perspective, my personal view, is that events really need to they need to protect their speakers and their attendees, right? Mm -hmm. So don't publicly announce the names. Well, make right. the people register for your event before you actually provide a list of who's speaking, who's attending. 
keynotes. I agree. That's just my personal opinion. Um, and then physical se- security for your attendees. I love what MRC does about badging or scanning the badges. Mm-hmm. That that to me is a little bit more security than most. Um, and then lastly, I think the last bucket is going to take a while, but it's really laws changing around privacy. You know, it really when personal information is the commodity of the day, um, and for four ninety nine you can be doxxed. Uh, that's a low bar of entry for information uh, to be sold. It just it, it, when post offices and utility can sell your information, yeah, that's just hurts, you know. Yeah, I think those are all really good things. A couple of things I would add on to that, just like uh, just mostly things to kind of add to what you said already. You know, one being social media. One thing that I've noticed is that privacy settings change all the time. So for the longest time, I had it set and I thought that I always had it set this way that you could only find me on, you know, a couple of social media or especially one social media platform if I was connected to someone you were connected to. So only our second connections could find me. And I, you know, did that on purpose. And I remember, you know, like my daughter's friends, parents being like, I was trying to find you on this platform and I couldn't. I'm like, oh, yep, got it locked down like Fort Knox. But then like a couple months ago, someone in the fraud space sent me a a LinkedIn or not a LinkedIn, a Facebook, it was Facebook request. And I was so confused because we didn't know anyone in common. And so I asked them, like, how did you find me? And they said, oh, I just put in your name. And I was like, oh, that's great. I haven't changed that privacy setting. So I think it's important to go in and, you know, I don't know if it's six months. I don't know if it's every year. I don't know if it's, you know, every daylight savings when you're changing your batteries for your smoke detector. I don't know what it is, but check, you know, the privacy settings and make sure that they haven't changed because you might think that you said it one way and then it might be that the company has changed it themselves. Not that they've changed your individual one, but that they've made it, they've made changes to it so that those no longer apply in some way. I'm not sure what all comes on these reports anymore. One of the things that that concerned me was um, my credit reporting information. That's the other one. So locking down your Mm. credit reports um, is another good one. I had gone as far as um, having my information scrubbed from the internet. So, which I had, I did on my, uh, you know, because my family was still being targeted. Mm. So I, I said, I'm not protecting. (laughs) I obviously am not protecting my family well enough. So I paid for a service to continue to scrub, you know, all of the, the data that kept coming up on my family. So that's another thing. I mean, it's a paid service, but you can go out and all of that public information that keeps getting put up on right. these sites that have been verified or, or um, what my life and all of those, it'll go through and it, it requests to take all that information off these sites. Oh, that's really good. Okay. So um, that's something to think about too. I mean, if you're willing to go to the expense to have your right. stuff removed, then you can do it. So Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, that I think is such good things. And I think the one other thing I would say is, you know, when educating your staff, um, making sure that people understand that, like, they can be tracked by what what companies they're liking on social media or the company, you know, listed as employees on LinkedIn, unfortunately, right? And they need 
to take care of their own personal safety. And it's just, it's a sign of, I mean, I know that I am sure I I can think of a couple of client companies I've worked with that would probably, if I said something like that, they would think I was being really paranoid. But I think, you know, it's just saying, well, as our world gets more and more interconnected, um, as, you know, people are easy to find, as we can, you know, figure out very easily where, you know, Bradley Cooper had lunch yesterday or whatever, right? Like, (laughs) and not that anyone that, you know, you work with is like Bradley Cooper, but I mean, just saying like, you know, there's a guy who tracks Taylor Swift's airplane and everywhere she goes at all times. I know that she's looking to sue him, but he you know, is claiming First Amendment in the US. And so, you know, thinking those things through and just being conscious of them, I think wouldn't be a bad thing. And, you know, even if it was to get to you, you know, I mean, in your case, they were trying to get to you and and really take your reputation away from your company, you know, by making people think that you're calling them and and <laughs> making inappropriate sounds. Well, I think it also went one, it went once, I mean, it went way further than that. I mean, they were, they were posting all kinds of inaccurate information as well. So it, it was a total character assassination. I think that's the other thing to remember when these people are desperate for whatever the end game is, right? They will go to any length to disqu- discredit you in your position to get to their end goal. Mm. So that that's the one thing to remember. And you're constantly backstepping yeah. to prove them wrong. So, like, you know, victimization is is a hard place to be in. I won't consider myself a victim because I, I, I still came out on the other end of this. Yes, you did. But I will say that it is really tough when somebody's saying, you know what, she got fired from her last job because she was stealing money. No, I wasn't. Uh, right. <laughs> I know oh, better right. than that. So... Um, but that's the kind of dishonesty that was being put out in public spaces. And the disinformation. Exactly. So mm-hmm. you've got to weed through all of the non-truths. And I know who I am as a human being. I know who I am as a professional. And this person, you're a nobody. Wow. Well, thank you, my friend, so much uh, for sharing this story with everyone. And I hope in a way it was cathartic for you too to be able to, you know, get it out one last time and, and share it with the industry as far as like not, you know, just knowing that these things can happen and taking a couple precautions so that if there is someone that's upset that they had their account, you know, suspended or canceled or their orders canceled or whatever it is that they can't get to you and your family, that they can't do these things. Cause it's just, it, I'm grateful that I don't hear these stories all the time, but I just keep getting nervous that, you know, they could happen. And especially as more and more people stateside in the U S especially, but also in other parts of the world are entering into fraud. You know, it used to be more of like a nation state thing or, you know, across the the pawn thing. And now there's a lot of fraud, you know, within the US and a lot of fraudsters there. I think that, you know, I think that that can make it worse in a lot of ways, because it can become personal to them, rather than this is a job. And so I think it's a good cautionary tale. And I really thank you for for your time and for being here and sharing that. Thank you for having me. And I would just say, stay safe, everybody. Yeah, thank you again so much.
you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.